Turn uh, in your Bibles uh, to the book of Romans, the 8th chapter. If you do not have a Bible with you, um, we have a brother who will um, bring a Bible to you. All you need to do is raise your hand and he will uh, bring you a Bible. And so we're going to go to the book of Romans, New Testament, and um, we're going to read the 14th verse through the 17th verse of Romans 8. We have been journeying uh, through uh, the Word of God in respect to the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but in my background, there was not a lot of that preaching going on about God's Spirit. Um, and uh, I, I, I think it's a dangerous thing to do, to, um, to believe that God's Spirit is supposed to be reigning over the church, because that means that um, the driving force is taken out of our hands and put into God's hands, and His Spirit has every right to lead us wherever He wants, no matter what. Uh, and that can be dangerous, um, and, uh, and it also can sometimes not make sense. Uh, because human logic um, isn't always truth. We have to keep that in mind. Uh, he can speak to us in ways that moves us into places that does not make sense. But uh, it's always uh, for his glory and our good. And it's always a good place for a human to place themselves within uh, the context of God's spirit moving their life. And so... Today, uh, the title of the message is The Spirit of Adoption, and, uh, and so let's read about that, in uh, the, starting with the 14th verse through the 17th of Romans 8. Are you with me? Yes. All right, all right, let's do this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, rather the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Good song. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. And so thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired word. As we enter our time again, I just want to remind you of the fact that we've, chapter 8 started the saying, there is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. We're all on level ground together. We watch the Spirit move us from condemnation of the law and open us up into a whole new realm of, uh, of life with the Spirit. And then we met the intimate spirit of Christ called, called the spirit of Jesus who, belong, pre, who presents um, us with belonging, resurrectional courage, and the obligation to obey him. Today we're spending some time with the spirit of adoption. This is not only dear to my heart in the fact that I was also adopted, but it also reminds me this is the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ. From Abraham on, God has been a daddy of adoption who's looking to rescue his people from the prince of the air of this world and bring them together, as, as he said to Abraham, as a great nation. And even out of the tyranny of Egyptian 
uh, 400 years, he brought them through the desert of life, through the pillar of fire at night and the pillar of cloud during the day. He is the God that desires to lead our lives. He is the God that is moving. And if we're willing to follow, move us on into the promised land. It is no different today than it was for them. The Spirit desires to lead the church. In fact, he's in charge of the church. That's what he's supposed to be. Not, in char- not led by us, not led by our, by our um, opinions or even by our own logic, but led by the Spirit of God uh, into a realm of, of a life that we could never even have guessed for our lives, no matter what age we are. We really don't understand this truth unless we understand the truth that Deuteronomy teaches us. He says that he did not choose them because they were the largest nation or the best nation. He chose them because he loved them as his most precious possession. Today, can you receive this spirit by believing that God today sees you as his most precious possession and he loves you? No matter what you're going through, no matter what life um, um, is bringing before you, you are his most precious possession. As an adopted child or step or a child who has a man not related to them in blood, one of the greatest obstacles that we have to overcome is trust. In fact, it's interesting. just was talking to somebody about that today. I'd never th- I didn't even think about that. Can I trust the person? That's in my life. The daddy who's in my life. Can I trust God? And a lot of times, we, we act, because of our mistrust, we act negatively, don't we? We do things that we know are wrong, but we do it because we don't believe we can trust. And so I, I can tell you honestly from my own opinion, my own life, that I tested my father to his limits. From throwing stones to places they didn't belong uh, to learning some new cuss words and deciding to let the whole neighborhood hear about them uh, to being caught stealing from a church member to the police driving up in our driveway a couple of times on my account. These are just a few of the testings that uh, that I put my adopted father through. But I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, as he is my witness, as he is with Jesus right now, uh, that never once, ever, did I not feel that I was his son. Never once did he lead that. In fact, to the point that when Sue and I were married, he was angry at Sue for a while because she took his son away from him. And so today... We live in the context and the reality of a father who sees us as his precious child. As we think about this day also, we think about Pentecost. And as we think about Pentecost, this is exactly what the disciples and the 120 people in the upper room needed on the day of Pentecost. They had come from the mountain in Galilee to Jerusalem. They were gathered together for 10 days. They were in constant prayer. They were developing their leadership, places that were empty, and they were waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came and testified 
First, as a violent blowing wind, which is from the Old Testament, represents the presence of God. Because in Ezekiel 1, it says that I saw a windstorm coming out of the north. It is a testimony to the presence of God. But also as the tongues of fire let on each of their heads, representing the power of the Holy Spirit that had been promised by Jesus, they too needed the promised assurance of God's presence and power to live out the life he called them to live. We need that also. This is not some, let's just get our doctrine right and let's just, let's just legally live right. It's a life that's set on fire by the Holy Spirit to live unconventionally in this world for Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happened to the disciples. They were blown into a whole new life. A whole new life that was marked by one thing. What was it? Was it healings? Yes, Healings can come from the presence of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. Is it a world, word of knowledge? Yes, Peter preached, and it was seen. Is it casting out demons? Yep, it can happen, and it had happened. But I think the most interesting thing that is revealed in, the, in, in Acts 2 is this, that the power of the Spirit saved 3,000 people and their lives were transformed to the point that they were in unity with each other, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Yes, there were signs and wonders, but you know what? It wasn't even important enough to the Spirit to reveal those signs and wonders to us. It just said there were signs and wonders. But what was important to the Spirit was the fact that all believers were together and had everything in common. And that's what's seen as the Holy Spirit comes together. This is what's so important to the Father. This is what's so important to the spirit of adoption is the fact that God's Spirit draws us together unified as a family of God in this place. Unified in such a way that our differences don't change us. That it doesn't even matter how different we are because we, have our, we are unified and brought together and so today, God's word brings us three assurances of the Spirit. Three assurances that hold our hearts together that the Spirit of God is, is within us. The question is, do you have these assurances? The first assurance is the assurance of being led by the Spirit of God. The second assurance is the assurance of access to the Father the adoption, the actual adoption that gives us access to the Father. And the third is the inner assurance of the Holy Spirit. The witnessing fact that He does live within us. And so the first, the assurance of being led by the Spirit. It says here, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit of Jesus is our leader. That is what his job is. The Bible says in verse 9 of this chapter, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. I have had people saying to me that we see the Spirit moving in this church. And my thought is, well, praise the Lord. 
But if he isn't, then we're wasting our time. We're wasting our time. Because in the movement of the Spirit, lives are changed, hearts are changed, and, and we are moved. And you sang these words. You're, you sang these words. Because when you speak and when you move, when you do what you can only do, it changes us. It changes not only what we see, but what we seek. There is an inner change in our life. And this is marked by two things. The Old Testament says it this way. The assurance of being led by the Spirit is that the hand of God is on you. The hand of God is on you. This phrase comes in uh, in many ways. But in Joshua uh, 4.24, it says this. When Joshua was talking about about the people being led across uh, the Jordan and across the Red Sea, it says this. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Has God's word penetrated your heart and moved you? In such a way that, A, you're being drawn to God. Your heart's being drawn to God. You don't don't make that happen. It's because the Spirit of God is drawing you. Second of all, that he actually saved you. That there is a point in time in your life where your heart was You came before the Lord. You repented of your sins. You saw him for who he really was. And your life was changed and moved. Third, that the purpose of your life changed. No longer, like me, right? After high school, I said, you know what? It's a great idea to go to electronics and because that's where the money is. Um, I actually served in the field for 15 years. It was great. But that was my idea. In the midst of it, God says, I have another idea for you. And I remember the day that a, that a machinist came to me and said, Anders, you need to be in ministry. Here's the name of a guy you need to talk to. And so, is your, is your uh, purpose in your life changing? And listen, this is important. That you experience the interrupted leading at times when you lose your way in sin. There's a feeling of lostness. There's a feeling of disconnectedness. Not because God moved. Because in your life, you have moved. Respond to it. It's the leading of the Spirit. The Old Testament hand of the Lord sometimes was heavy on a person because of a coming judgment. It was burdensome when sin came, like when David and Bathsheba, it was burdensome for nine months on David, and he would not respond to it until Nathan came to him. And it is also a hand of celebration when people are set free. When people are set free by Can you sense God's lead in your life? When you do, the attitude will be the same as the psalmist in 143.10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. This is the word of God working out in our daily lives. Teach me your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on to level ground. So the, so the first evidence of being, of being moved by the Spirit is that the hand of the Lord is upon you. The second is, your heart is convinced that it is the Spirit's power to move anything else in your life forward. It's called sanctification. 
being led by the Spirit of God as a child, you also know the truth that without God, you can do nothing, but that in the midst of the fact that God is in your life, he is divinely assisting your walk. Galatians 5, 16 through 17 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so you are not to do, this is an interesting line, so you are not to do whatever you want to do. I think sometimes people miss that line, especially in America, because we like to say, I can, I can do what I want to do. But it's, it's in the conflict that comes between the flesh and the spirit that your life is moved in such a way that you go, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Amen. Yes, that is true. And it is that promise that not only did Jesus save you, but he's also the source so you can live out the life that he saved you too. Isn't that awesome? You know, if he just left us, you know, if he just, if he just left Daniel, say, okay, I saved you. Now go try to live this out. How frustrating that life would be for Daniel because he doesn't have the strength to do it of himself. But when he divinely becomes the power for us to live it in, to live into it, it is an amazing truth. Sanctification is a mystery, but the result is undeniable. It is through that that God performs the outworking of spiritual power in our life. The power to overcome sin. The power to produce fruit. He has not left you alone. He's leading you. And you know what? I look at my, at my brother Russ and he says this, that even in our old age, we'll be green. We'll still produce fruit. Right, brother? Yes! Yes! We still have something to do. And so the question is this, people of God, as you listen, you weren't brought here uh, by accident or because you had something else planned. You're brought here because you needed to hear. Are you being led by the Spirit of God? Are you a child of God? That is, when you're led by the Spirit, you absolutely have the assurance you're a child of God. Amen. 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 So God's hand is on you, and, and sometimes it can be heavy. Sometimes it, it, it can be, um, it can be uh, a bit, it can be convicting because you're doing something that's not of God, and sometimes it can be celebratory because he's doing a mighty work, and you get to see it. You get to see it. So first thing, the assurance of him leading. Second, in verse 15, the assurance of access to the Father. Listen to it. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Access is the right to enter, to approach the presence of one who has granted you that privilege. I read to you Titus today, and um, I had another passage picked out. And God said during uh, Ryan's song, uh-uh, Titus, because every single one of us were living in disobedience. But God, but God, 
by his grace, gave you through that grace and his mercy access to him. What? How has that impacted you and me? How has that changed our life? Access to who? Access to who? Paul told Timothy about God. He said that God was the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. That is who we have been given access through grace to. Just don't let that go by. Our Hamlet brother and sister are going through the reality of death. How important is that? He's the immortal God. He's immortal. Bob's become immortal because of him. Wow. Grieve, but celebrate. Grieve, but be assured and Kyle said that to me on the phone this week. I'm so appreciative of his faith. Um, and so this is the God. So the first assurance that he has in here of this immortal God is, first of all, do not make, this, this does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. He did not give us um, uh, a spirit of fear. Um, and so... It was through the fear that you and I were born with that reveals itself through the fear of death as the same fear of God. But Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that he died on a cross and arose again, that he took the power of Satan away and made him powerless so that what? We would no longer live in fear. No longer fear, live in fear of death. How much does fear overrule us? How much does fear drive the decisions of our lives? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid or fearful, but gave us, gives us power, love, and self-discipline or a sound mind. You must understand a biblical truth that runs throughout Scripture. The reason we fear death comes from the same place that Fear comes from, it's the, the fear of separation of relationship. It is foundation to the cause of fear. Our original sinful nature was a nature of abandonment. As our forefather Adam abandoned God through sin by rebellion, and every single one of us has done it, so the same thing is with us. That is why Satan works so hard to separate people even in the church because the spirit of slavery, of abandonment, can paralyze the church from being effective in producing fruit. He loves to get us squabbling amongst ourselves so that we don't become fruitful for others. But, but John, 1 John 4 says this, that perfect love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. No greater punishment than the separation of us from God and each other. Perfect in the scripture means complete. And so God has, brings complete love to the table in our hearts 
so that we can trust, that we can walk with each other because the foundation of love is trust. And if we trust the Lord with all our heart, lean not on our own understanding, in all ways acknowledge him, he will make our path straight, and a path straight is a path that walks through his perfect love. And Jesus promised us he would not leave us orphans. I will come to you. And so that is the second assurance. The second assurance in this passage is that the Spirit brought about your adoption. Adoption, that is, uh, the child's right to attain all the privileges and rights of being a member of a family. Paul had this in mind when he thought about the adoption in the Roman world. In the Roman world, to be adopted, you had to totally sever legal and social rights to your bio family. You need to be, you, you would be placed into your new family permanently. All previous debts and other obligations would be eradicated. And along with all that, seven reliable witnesses needed to be in place so that there, if there was any possible um, testing of the, of the adoption, they would be able to answer the question. The grace of God is all about adoption. Its pictures come from the Old Testament. Adoption goes all the way back. Our brother Josiah talked about themes in Scripture. You can find themes of adoption throughout Scripture. People like Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Um, Esther was adopted by her older cousin uh, Mordecai. But I think the one that reflects the greatest adoption that really hits grace for all of us is... um, I'm not going to be able to say it. I said it so many times. Uh, Mephibosheth. Yeah, Mephibosheth. Yeah, go ahead. You come up here and get the microphone. Mephibosheth. I just sat there in my office. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. Why would anybody name, if you name your child that? I'm sorry. You have to go somewhere else. He was Jonathan's son, and he was King Saul's grandson. He was, when, when the war was going on where King Saul and Jonathan were killed, his nurse, hearing the news, picked him up and ran with him. And he fell, and he was disabled for life. Later on, when David took over uh, his kingship, he was thinking about his brother Jonathan, and he, th- he said to his officials, is there anything that I can do for the family of Saul, for my brother Jonathan? And uh, they said, uh, that Mephibosheth was, um, uh, was living in the land and was disabled. Now, how does his life become grace? First, David took the initiative, like our God. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Second, he was the grandson of the king, the natural enemy of David. In those days, when the new king came over, they would kill all the family members off so there would be no coup between the two of them. And so he was a natural enemy of David. And he and David took in his enemy. That's exactly what he did with you and I. Third, he was crippled. He was helpless to do anything of service to the king. You get that? You get that? It's not about your benefit to Jesus. It's about your heart. 
And so, just like us. And then finally, the only thing that he could receive was the gift of the sovereign grace of King David. It's the only thing we can do. Listen to me. It's the only thing we can do to receive the grace of God. And so by the assurance of the Spirit, this verse goes on and says that by him we cry, Abba, Father. I remember the first time that I preached this message, I got confronted by somebody uh, because I talked about Abba, Father as being the fact that we can call the Father Daddy. And the person accused me of being uh, too familiar and making God more on our level. But yet, Jesus himself, in Mark 14, 36, said in the garden, he said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is not a right to disrespect or of an unhealthy familiarity, but it is an intimacy, an intimate petition of praise to our Heavenly Father. This level of intimacy is the evidence of the indwelling spirit in our hearts that we truly live in the presence of God, that we can call him daddy. Because when did you call your daddy daddy? Wasn't it the time that you had fallen and you're bleeding from places in your arm and your daddy comes and lifts you up and you go, daddy? Isn't it the times that you had a breakup in your relationship and your daddy was there to talk to wasn't it the times that, that you needed him so desperately that you cried out, Daddy? Because I remember when my dad would tell me to dig up the old pump in the backyard, it was, okay, Dad. <laughs> or, um, or when I did something wrong, which obviously you heard just a small piece of, that my dad would discipline me, and um, I would say, I'm sorry, Dad. But when it's Daddy is when your heart is hurting. Believers compelled by the spirit of adoption are compelled to love God with all their hearts, to hate sin deeply, to reject the world, to long for Christ's return, to love other believers, to live in the light of answered prayers, to discern between right and wrong, and to move forward into Christ-likeness through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, calling them children of God. And so, the assurance of being led, the assurance of access, he's our daddy. He is our adopted father. And then the final insurance, the assurance of the Spirit. Let's hear it. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. Do you live with an inner assurance that within your soul you have no doubt the Spirit of God lives within it? The first thing is that says that the Spirit himself testifies with their spirit. I think the real question is here, as the Spirit testifies to us, do I really long for the things of God more than the things of this world? 
Am I willing to live a life unprotected in this world because I believe that God, who lives within me, is my ultimate protector? Do I desire to please him in everything that I do? These are, these are realities of the Spirit testifying to our spirit. The Spirit is a living being witnessing to the heart of every believer the truth in the light of deception. There's been an interesting thing that has happened in Christianity these days, and that is how many people who will say, well, I believe in God, but it doesn't move their life to any life change. And they shudder. There's a life change. That's right. Thank you. I have a friend of mine who's had cancer now three times. This is the third time. Three different cancers. He does not give glory to God, but claims that he knows where he's going. He cares nothing for the things of God, but holds on to the claim of God's promise. Can that be true? I'm not his judge, but the fruitlessness of his life testifies against what he says he believes. By the Spirit, your life will draw into what your heart believes. It will, by, by natural assent, because the Spirit is testifying. Have you had the Spirit of God testifying in your heart? Has there been times where your mind has been changed and moved because the Spirit of God living within you is testifying to His presence in your life. We don't talk about our souls much, do we? We're so caught up in the materialistic world that focus on our souls seems to almost be secondary. And yet, in God's Word, I think it's the most important thing. Dwelling within the realm of our soul in communion with the Spirit of God. Letting Him move and change us. Let Him lead our life. Knowing that we have complete access. And that, and that not only do we have access to God to be an adoptive father, not only is the Spirit testifying, but you know what? We're heirs and co-heirs with Christ. In the human interaction of, of inheritance, wealth is distributed to each child evenly. But in the economy of God, every heir gets the full amount of inheritance. Since we are co-heirs with Christ, as Jesus received the full glory of God, we also inherit that glory. In fact, as he was approaching the cross, he really said that it was in that realm that was his glory. His glory was to obey the Father. His glory was not to let his flesh move him in his life, but his glory was to be obedient to the Father all the way to the cross. And then he said, Father, let you also be given glory through this. Can't imagine what that was like for Jesus. 
We cannot make light of the fact that every fiber of his flesh fought against going to the cross. I don't know what thing you have walked into that was difficult for you to walk into. I don't know what you have faced that has caused total fear over your life. But he, he bore the weight of it completely and walked and walked. A note on the fact that about the full uh, um, inheritance, it's the whole point of Matthew 20 where it says, uh, it's a parable talking about the vineyard that the master hired somebody early in the morning and at nine and at noon and at five. And when he paid them, he paid them all the same. And on earth, it was, it, there was complaining amongst the workers because they had worked harder. But the whole point is the fact that God gives the full inheritance to every one of his children. Faithfulness and talents are gifts of thanksgiving, but they are not entrances into greater inheritance. Somebody like Billy Graham, who's spent his whole life around the world speaking to millions and millions of people. Inheritance is the same as somebody who on their deathbed receives Christ for the first time. If you're sitting here today and you've not received Jesus Christ, my prayer is that you will. And there's no greater place on the face of this earth than to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. The last thing that he talks about here is sharing in the suffering and sharing in his glory. Jesus testified, and I talked about that, that, that the glory of the Father gave to him when he was going to the cross. Paul told Timothy that everyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. It is also in the sharing of the suffering that reveals the assurance of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. The Bible says this, that as we testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that to some it will become a fragrance of life and to others a fragrance of death. One of the things that stops us from witnessing Jesus Christ to other people is the fear of being rejected especially in a, in a world that is trying to shut the culture down of, of Christianity. But I'm telling you, if you will stand, yes, there will be rejection, but they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the spirit inside of you, which testifies that he lives there. Yes. I mean, how could Paul sit in a prison after being beaten and sing songs? Because he was, the Spirit was testifying the reality of his existence and Paul was celebrating that he got the chance to suffer like his Savior did. That is something that is so foreign to the church today. And we sit quiet and mousy to the side because we're afraid of that rejection. People of God, it is that very rejection that shows you Jesus Christ is in you. You don't. Look for it. You don't become naturally irritating as a person. But as you lovingly, as you lovingly, there's a, there's a young lady on my mind right now 
works at Horrocks. She's a cashier. I never get enough time with these cashiers. <laughs> I need more time. I'm sorry, you go in another aisle. I'm talking. But, you know, we just started just a, just a conversation with each other. And all of a sudden, it turned spiritual. And, um, and the reason it did was because she, I, she was talking about her long day. And I said, well, at least you get to meet some amazing customers, right? And she said, well, not all of them are like you. And I said, oh. I said, but you know what? I've got a philosophy in life. And I said, that it's this. I said, I only have a short life on this earth to live. I might as well treat everybody with love and respect. And she says, but you know, we don't always have, we don't just have one life to live, do we? I said, you're right. And all of a sudden, we're in the spiritual. And we start, you know, and she's got this other guy. Go away. And I'm, I, I'm going to get back to her someday, Lord willing. But, but it was just, it, you know, you get that opportunity every day. And so, as you think about this, are you being led by the Spirit? Is the Spirit of, of Christ testifying to your heart right now in this place? Do you know that you're adopted by the Father? And do you have the assurance by, by the, being heir, full inheritance, and the fact that, yeah, you are going to be persecuted? Yes, when you make a decision for Jesus Christ, it's not going to be the easy path. It's going to be the hard path. Yes. Yes. Amen. So as I was preparing for this time together, um, a song came to my mind, and I love my brother. It's lead on, O King Eternal. The day of March has come. Henceforth in field of conquest, thy tent shall be my home. Through days of preparation, thy grace has made us strong. And now, O King Eternal, we lift our battle song. In this day of memorial, there's still another battle that needs to be fought. It is the battle of the gospel. And God is calling people to his army to battle. And yes, he will lead. And yes, he will assure you that you're in the right army. And yes, you have an inheritance waiting for you. You are going from victory to victory. Even if somebody would take your life, you've still won. You have still won. And so hear the rest of the song. Lean on, or the third verse, lead on, O King Eternal. We follow not with fears. For gladness breaks like morning wherever thy face appears. Thy cross is lifted over us. We journey in its light. The crown awaits the conquest. Lead on, O King, O God of might. Stand with me as we pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we come in your presence today and we are a church that desires that your Holy Spirit leads us. It's a spirit of no condemnation. It is a spirit uh, that has broken us from the condemnation of the law and set us free in grace. It is the spirit of Jesus Christ. It came. He came and lived among us in the receiving of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Lord, it is the Spirit that leads us. 
It is the Spirit that testifies. It is the Spirit that has gifted us with an inheritance. And it is the Spirit that leads us even when others attack and persecute. God, raise us up to be a church that's willing to be led by you. Let us lay down ourselves. Let us lay down those things that, uh, that bind us, that are holding on to us, that uh, are hardening our hearts, that are causing separation, that are causing division as a family. And Lord, may we come together under the spirit of adoption, following you, no matter where you lead, no matter if it makes sense or not. In fact, if it makes sense, we, we have to ask ourselves, is it really of you? For Father, we're lead, you're leading us um, away from the world into the promised land. And it didn't make sense to those Israelites to, to walk through the desert with no provisions, but you made it happen. And so, Father, we've, we trust that you are here. We trust that you are not only the one who saved us, but you're the source that strengthens us and that you, God, are the one through Jesus Christ, are the one that is moving us by the Holy Spirit. Father, let that be me. Let that be us. Let the Spirit so move that you draw people into this place not even knowing why they're here. Lord, that they may not even want to have come, but because your Spirit is drawing their heart, Lord, draw them, save them, sanctify them for your work. Let them live for you. And may our hearts be moved each day to follow you. Thank you, Abba Father. Thank you, Daddy, for this time in your word. Penetrate it into our hearts. Move our lives. May our relationship with you and each other become uh, of utmost importance that we can continue to walk forward together as a family. We give you all the praise and honor in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen.